But I just want to encourage you guys today. Um, it's really my hope to bring you guys a word of hope. Um, this is a sermon uh, that I've preached now a couple of times, and I absolutely love it. So if I don't preach it over and over again, just you guys are able to grab on to this in the season of change, in a season where things may, um, may feel a bit dis- disheveled for you, um, as it comes to church, as it comes to life. Um, I don't know how it is up here. Like like uh, Sam said, San Diego is, is a different country. Um, but where I'm at, my kids are home all day, and I work from home. So it's a season <laughs> of dishevelment, right? Um, and I work in the construction industry. Um, it's a season where it's difficult uh, for construction. Uh, I work as a pastor. I work as a moderator. I'm the moderator of our of our presbytery. Um, an author, a counselor, and in each of these spheres, there's so much uh, upheaval. So I want to just give you guys something to root yourselves in today. That's my hope. So if you would, please take out your Bibles or your cell phones. Use your thumbprint, unlock them, or turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. And if you would, stand for the reading of God's Word. We don't stand out of respect for me. We stand out of respect for this, the person who stands behind uh, me, uh, God, who wrote these words to us. I'm going to read out of the Christian Standard Bible, which I know is a little bit anathema in the in the PCA, but alas, uh, I don't I don't read the extra sanctified version. I just read the old Christian Standard. Uh, here we go. Luke chapter 10. We'll look at verses 17 down through 20. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I've given you all authority, or given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, and over the power of the enemy, nothing at all will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. As far as the reading of God's word, may he bless it to our hearts. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that we can come to your word and hear your voice speak to us and give us truth that we can root and ground ourselves in. Lord, it's easy to look at the things of this world, this beautiful view, beautiful pool, uh, all of the things, the good things you give us, and be distracted. So we just pray you'd sharpen our minds now, Lord, that we might hear your word, understand it correctly, and then, Lord, that it would build faith in our hearts. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. You may be seated. Um, this is this has been, as I've said, kind of a hard season uh, for me. I'm one of those preachers who will let you in on some of my life. Um, it's been a hard season for me, and uh, and joy has been a difficult topic. Um, joy has been hard for me to lean into. Uh, I hear the Bible say rejoice again. I'll say rejoice, and I'm like, yeah, that's great. But that's for someone else, <laughs> right? Depressed, I'll say depressed. Um, anxiety, I'll say anxiety. That's mine. And these have been especially hard words for me. Um, 
as I've as I've suffered um, through the last few years, and as we all have suffered in 2020, right? I mean, 2020 has been kind of a dumpster fire of a year. Um, it's hard to say rejoice. Um, it's hard to find a place of joy. I don't think many people would say this year is a year that uh, that we would use the word joy to typify. Uh, we might say anxiety or struggle or difficulty or sickness or COVID or job loss or turmoil or strife or any number of different things, but many of us wouldn't say joy. I was reflecting on my walk with Jesus as I do, um, sometimes for good and sometimes for bad. Um, and I realized that over the years I've just changed as a human being. My relationship with Christ has changed. Uh, you know how this is. If you're in relationship with anyone over a long period of time, that relationship uh, takes different shapes and morphs and moves. And I was reflecting on this as I was meeting with my counselor and and he said, Joel, have you changed, do you think? And I was like, yeah, I think so. But I don't think in a good way. I think I've changed, but something's off. So I asked my family if I changed and how. And my kids, being 17 and 14, promptly said, uh, yeah, Dad, you've changed. I said, really, how? And they said, you used to be so joyful. You used to be so happy. And things just aren't that way. And they were right. I'd lost sight of this truth of Christian joy. My relationship with God became one that was based on fear as opposed to the freedom that the gospel brings me. I'd always just kind of waited for the other shoe to drop, right? You know what I'm saying. It's like, oh, this has been a terrible year. What's coming next? Except for it was more personalized. Um, as I was saying at the Presbytery meeting, uh, my life has been one that is, uh, is typically marked by suffering. Um, many people, as, as you get to know my story, and I let you in more over the next few months, um, you'll see my life is kind of filled with this winding path. It's not very straightforward. Uh, 2016, uh, I, I, my body tends to produce kidney stones. Um, 2016, I produced my 27th kidney stone. Um, it was eight millimeters, and it took me an entire summer to get it out of me. Um, while they were scanning me, they found a tumor on the wall of my bladder. Um, that's kind of like the double whammy, right? It's like, shoot, I got a kidney stone, and now I could have cancer. Um, ends up the tumor wasn't cancer, may God be praised, uh, but I had to have that piece of my bladder removed. Um, my wife then miscarried two months later. Uh, then I started to, the long process of nine months of losing my call. Uh, at a church where I'd been for 25 years, uh, suffering, real hardness, real difficulty, waiting for the other shoe to drop. 
uh, as I was reading my Bible, I came across this passage and it just jumped out at me. Um, Jesus is telling his disciples uh, that there's so much more, right? Um, that there's something that's so much more beautiful for us. As we walk through this life of suffering and sorrow, of success and stress, of happiness and holiness, there's so much more for us to root ourselves in than the things that we experience today. Than the things of this world. So my hope for you is, today, to just give you a little glimpse of heaven. So you can pick your eyes up off of the problems of this world and maybe, just maybe, see a little bit of Jesus. So you can root yourself in that and find joy. This passage is awesome. I love it. Um, This is so much fun. Kids, uh, if you pay attention to the reading, you'll hear some pretty amazing things, like crazy things. Um, Jesus has just sent out the 72. Hang with me, kids. I'm going to get to the cool things in a second. Jesus just sent out the 72. 72 people to go affect change on the world. When Jesus sends them out, and they go out, and they're like casting out demons. Huge success in ministry. Now, I don't know if you've ever uh, like ran into someone who's demon-possessed. I was in Africa, and uh, working uh, at a, a, like helping uh, build a church, plant a church in Africa. My wife and I were there for about three weeks in Uganda. And I can remember riding in uh, in a car, in a van, and um, and this lady was there with us. And all of a sudden, her voice started to change. And she started to say things that were just really ugly, nasty things that she would never say. Um, she had been, um, she had had an aunt who was a witch doctor who knew that she was coming to, to faith in Christ. It's crazy. It's wild. Prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Demon possession is going on here. We see it all throughout the New Testament. And they come back and they're like, Jesus, super, super cool. We're able to cast out demons in your name. We're able to affect the spiritual world in your name. I mean, just think about that kind of power in ministry. And the kind of power where, like, you speak and things happen. It's just wild. And Jesus is like, right on. Right on. That's awesome. Like, I'm so stoked for you. And, the, and they're like, they're not proud. Like, they're like, oh, this is us. We're doing this. Like, this is in your name. And Jesus is like, right on. Like, that's so great. I was there when Satan was thrown down from heaven. You know, if I was saying that, I'd be like, yeah, right on, guys. You know, have, I don't know if you guys have ever seen that Jim uh, Jim Gaffigan uh, sketch, or maybe it wasn't Jim Gaffigan, but the guy is like, I walked on the moon. Um, that's fantastic, right? It's like, great, you have a Porsche. Um, I drove through the sea of tranquility, right? Jesus isn't pulling one of those humble brag moments. Um, Jesus is like, yeah, I have authority over everything. I threw Satan out of heaven. I watched him cast down like lightning out of heaven. And they're getting pumped up. 
And then kids just grab onto this for a second. Look, I've given you all authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, and you will not be hurt. I don't know about you guys, but whenever I see a snake, I run away. Um, when I see a scorpion, scorpions especially freak me out. We build in Arizona, and those things just make me really un, uh, really nervous. Um, I had to trample on them. But notice what Jesus says. Verse 20. However... It's like all that all that external stuff is really cool. However, don't rejoice in all of these external things that you can pull off through my name. Rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Let's pick that phrase apart just piece by piece here. First one, he tells us to rejoice. And there's a difference here between joy and happiness, right? I mean, you guys get this. There's a difference between joy and happiness. You know happiness. Happiness is based on the things of this world. It's based on the, the way your life is going. I mean, maybe, maybe if you're a dad and you coach your kid's baseball team and you win, you're happy and all the kids are happy, right? Um, maybe if you're a kid and you get, your, you get a, um, the, just the perfect gift for Christmas... You're happy, right? You're, you're amped. You're ready to go. Um, but then what happens when that toy breaks? Right? You're bummed. Like, oh, man, I thought this thing would bring me so much more happiness than this. Uh, you know, at, at my house, we just, uh, we just got a new house. It has a, a pool like this. Um, and we have a gigantic inflatable swan in our pool um, for us to all lay on and whatnot. We've named her Gladys. She's Gladys the Glitter Swan because she has glitter all in her. Um, and we love Gladys. And we'll continue to love Gladys until Gladys pops. And then the happiness we have over Gladys is going to be gone, right? Gladys is going to go in the garbage. That's happiness. And we all get this because we come to church and people are like, how are you? And you're like, hi, I'm great. Whereas inside you're like, shoot, man, my week was terrible. Happiness can be faked. Joy is something different. Joy is this internal steadfastness. This, um, this rootedness that comes not from looking at our circumstances, but actually taking our eyes and looking outside of ourselves to something else, to something more beautiful. It's, it's, this, um, it's less about our emotions, even though it does affect our emotional life, and it's more about our state of being. It's about who we are. You see, joy holds through both suffering and success through fear and failing, through being overwhelmed and oh, and overcoming, joy holds. Happiness comes and goes. I have a friend, Kirsten Loy. She's one of the most beautiful people that I know. Um, she has suffered from cancer, um, gosh, ever since I've known her, and I've known her probably about a decade. And cancer comes and goes and comes and goes. 
she just got diagnosed again. The cancer has come back, and uh, we uh, this this is one of those ones where we don't know if she's actually going to make it through this bout of cancer. Um, if happiness is what held Kirsten, um, happiness would come and go, and it does come and go for her. But Kirsten has a joy, a settled rootedness in the reality that this is not her home. There's something better, far better than this. You see, the Christian who's growing in this sort of joy is less likely to look in the mirror to find out how they're doing and more likely to look at Jesus to see not only what he's done, but what's coming. Jesus says to them, however, rejoice. He's calling the 72 who were, who were sent out to settle themselves in a different reality than their effectiveness in ministry. Well, what is that? What is that reality? Jesus tells them, first bit of it, he says, rejoice your name. Your name written in heaven. What's with a name? We don't pay many much attention to names. When I was a kid growing up and going to church, um, uh, my pastor, even though he was my uncle, took very little time to understand who I was. Um, uh, took very little time to understand my name, what that meant, um, my personhood. You see, I got a terrible brain. It's probably going to take me multiple times to remember your guys' names. I'm very sorry about that. Um, it's what happens when you get put under general anesthesia multiple times. You start to forget things. Um, but have you ever had that moment where, like, you're trying to remember someone's name, and you're telling the person, oh, man, remember we met him at this place? And it's, it's that person, right? The one with the eyes and the ears and the nose. You remember, you know, like the brown hair? Come on, you know? And then all of a sudden, bam, you remember? And it's not just the person's name, but it's all of the things about that person that you've learned, that you've known. You see, the Bible is so, um, it treats people's names so much differently than we do, right? Names are kind of throwaway things for us. Um, my name is Joel. Uh, very people know what that even means. I barely even know what it means. Um, but in the Bible, it's names are, are super important um, because names allowed somebody to be a part of someone else's life. Eugene Peterson, the the guy who wrote uh, the message, uh, wrote a ton of other amazing books. Um, one of my favorite authors. He says there's no there's no relationship until there's a name. There's no relationship until there's a name. Until a name is exchanged, that's when you can start to build a relationship. Has it ever struck you that Jesus slowed down enough to know people's names? The God of the universe who is sustaining all things by the word of his power, even in his humanity, 
slowed down enough to know someone's name, to know about them, to know their story, their sorrows, their griefs. See, names allow us to be known and to know others. Our names tell us about someone. And with that name comes a whole web of feelings, knowledge, and understanding. You see, Jesus knows my name. This blows my mind. Jesus knows my name. The God of the universe knows your name. He knows you're a sinner. He knows that. But He knows something far better than that. He knows you're a beloved sinner. He knows your name. Our name for God is much more than just a collection of letters. Our name is our very personhood. It's our wants, our desires, our struggles, our sins, the things that we long for. It's all of us. Brothers and sisters, rejoice. Your name is written in heaven. Next phrase is written. It's fascinating to me that God's name is not written in heaven. It's God's place, right? song, right? Uh, sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, right? And they're glad you came. Um, God's name's not written in heaven. It's his place. It's permanent. But when Jesus says that your name is written in heaven, what he's saying is your place is your place, your name, your place, your your desires, your longings, all of that is written in heaven so that all of you has a permanent, secure home. Nothing to worry about. Nothing to stress about. Well, where are our names written? We all know this. It's like, uh, it's a book of life, Right? The Book of Life is mentioned all over the Bible from Exodus to Revelation. Um, all over the Bible. And, you know, I used to think of uh, of my name being written in the Book of Life kind of like an Evite, right? Like, uh, like I'm just a part of the guest list. And then as I've meditated on this idea of our names and what that means, and our names being written and what that means, it dawned on me. The book of life is less like an Evite, and it's more like a genealogy. Like, my name, my place, is secure because I'm a part of the family of God. And when I look around me, when I travel and I go preach, and I see this person or that person, I know this is all a part of the genealogy. These are my aunts, my uncles, my grandmothers, my grandfathers, my brothers, my sisters, my nephews, my nieces. My name has a place 
in the long line of all of the people who have ever professed faith in Christ, my name is written and it's secure. But you see, my name is not just written in the book of life. This is the crazy part. And kids, get your mind around this. This will blow your minds. Did you know that Jesus walks around with scars in heaven? Did you know that? Like Jesus has scars in heaven. Um, his body is perfected, but he carries his scars with him. Do you know what, what, um, what those scars represent? Right? They're the nails. They're, they're, the, they're the places where he was hung to the cross. Um, I have a gigantic scar from my surgery I was telling you guys about. It's about a two-inch scar right here, right above my belly button. Um, uh, I'd like to blame the fact that I'm, that I'm a little bit rotund on the fact that I can't build any muscle there because it's been cut apart, but that's not really the fact. It's really more cookies than that. Um, but I have a scar there. And, you know, every time I stand in front of the mirror and I see that scar, it reminds me of something. It reminds me of the surgery. It reminds me of all those, all those things. All the pain, all the suffering, all the anxiety, all the torment as I waited for the biopsy to come back. It reminds me of all the, all the suffering that went through recovery when I see that scar. That's what it reminds me of. And you know what's sad about it? In many ways, I'm ashamed of that scar. In many ways, I hate it. I've got five of them actually all across my stomach. Isaiah 49 tells us something. It's just so beautiful. I love it. Isaiah 49 says our names are written in Jesus' hands. Behold, I've written your names on my palms. They are ever before me. Think about this. Your name is permanently in a sense, tattooed on the nail prints that hung Jesus to the cross. But Jesus, unlike me, when he sees those nail prints, he's never ashamed. He doesn't look at them and think back about all the bad things that you've done to make him have to go through that and suffer. When he sees his scars and he sees your name, he's proud because you are his, his brother, his sister, his son, his daughter. He loves you. Your name is ever before him. He'll never forget. And as we confess today, He's our advocate. So that when Satan comes and Satan says to God, don't you know Joel? Don't you know what he's done today? Jesus is like, ah, he's mine. He's mine. I've paid for him. I love him. You see, friends, when we sin, we fear that our names are kind of like erased out of the book of life. <laughs> they can't be. They can't be taken out of heaven because they're written in the nail scars in Jesus' hands and his feet.
choice. Your names are written. Last phrase in heaven. My wife and I were talking the other day, and she we were just laying in bed talking to each other. We've been married, like I said, for 20 years now. And we were laying there talking to each other, and she said, Joel, do you think that you'll be sad in heaven because we won't be married? I was like, man, that's a good question. And I just sat there and thought for a minute, and I was, she was like, I'm going to be sad. I said, I don't think I'm going to be sad that we're not married, babe. And she was like, you, you jerk. <laughs> I was like, no, just wait. Hear me out, babe. Before you get make me go sleep on the couch, hear me out. Um, she wouldn't make me do that. Uh, in heaven. You know, my whole life I've worked to give my wife everything I possibly can. Everything she wants. Everything she needs. I work myself to the bone to do that. In heaven, in heaven, all of our wants, all of our desires, all of our needs, everything my wife has been longing for me to give her that I just can't give because I'm not God, she will have those things in fullness and running over in heaven. Our names are secure in heaven. You see, we're tempted, I think. I, well, maybe you're not like me. Maybe I'm just an especially bad sinner. Um, but I'm always tempted to look around me and say, Oh, shoot, if I could only have. If I could only do. If I could only be. And what those things do is they draw my gaze off of heaven and onto the world. And when my gaze is on this world, then my joy runs away from me. But when I know that there's something so much more, this hope, this everlasting hope, it makes the sufferings of this world seem inconsequential. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us. It makes the suffering of this world compared with the weight of glory worth enduring, worth fighting through. Heaven. I can't wait for heaven. I texted my buddy that the other day. He's suffering pretty bad. And I just texted him. I was like, bro, I can't wait for heaven. Then I had to follow it up with, like, not in a morbid way. <laughs> I, I know I struggle with depression, not in a morbid way. You don't even need to call my wife. Uh, can't wait for heaven. When we will be with God. And we will be like Him. Because we will see him face to face. You see, I can't wait for it. I'm just so excited. Like, it, it, it fuels me most days. It really is one of the few things that get me out of bed in the morning, is my desire for heaven. Um, when I can get to know people. Like, I can't wait. I can't wait to be sitting there talking to one of my boys, you know, just chilling out, sitting on, sitting on a street corner made of gold. Um, chilling out. 
I imagine myself drinking a really great bottle of red wine with my <laughs> friends, but that's just me just chilling out. And then all of a sudden, Moses walks by, and it's like, frick, that's Moses. Bro, do you see? Like, I'm elbowing my buddy, but that's Moses. He's completely different than what I thought he would be. Can't wait for heaven. No aches. No pains. No cancer. No sickness. No unfulfilled dreams. No racism. No sexism. No classism. All that stuff just moved to the side. All of it burned away. And the glory and the beauty and the majesty of Jesus as he consumes those things. And I look at my brothers, my brothers who were who were enslaved and in chains, who who bear that, and I say, Oh, praise God, that's done with. And I look at my sisters who have fought for years and years and years to be treated the same way as men. I say, praise God, we're done with that. And I look at my friends who are addicts, even the ones who OD, who were believers. Praise God, you're done with that. And we all worship. We all are fulfilled. All of our sadness gone. Pure joy, unimaginable joy, unimaginable community. I was talking with a buddy of mine. He's a missionary in Spain, in Barcelona. We were walking on the cliffs of Del Mar, uh, San Diego. Uh, sorry, walking on the cliffs of Del Mar. Um, I know it's a different country, so I got to like <laughs> Walking on the cliffs of Del Mar, and I looked at him, and it was a beautiful afternoon. We had just eaten some great sandwiches, enjoying each other's company. I said, Brent, this is heaven. This is what, like right now, this is a, C.S. Lewis calls them thin places, um, like Celtic lore thin places, right? The place where like, you start to feel like you're in heaven, but you're actually just on earth. It's a thin place. Um, this is heaven, man. I can't wait. And he looked at me, he's like, ah, yeah, this is pretty good, Joel. But I imagine heaven to be like a beautiful forest where I can go mushroom hunting and there are deer there and I'm living just happy. Just happy. Heaven, heaven is that place where your soul finds rest. Your brothers and sisters, rejoice. Your names are written in heaven. May God continue to bless you and give you pictures of heaven as you walk along this earth building in you the joy that lasts until we all return home. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Lord, wow. <laughs> um, how can we say thanks for the things that you've done for us, things so undeserved? 
Well, you came, you gave your life for us. The voices of a million angels couldn't express our gratitude. We give you all of us. Uh, Lord, um, that's the desire of our heart, and yet we know that so often it just is not like that um, in reality. And yet, God, we thank you that your devotion for us is not based on our devotion for you. Uh, But it was based on Christ's devotion, seeing this all the way to the end. So, Lord, grab our hearts with a glimpse of heaven, we pray. Build in us steadfast joy for Christ's sake, looking forward to the coming of his kingdom. Amen. Amen.